0: Amanda Edwards. How you doing, young lady? I'm wonderful. And thank you so much for having me on the show, Borto. I'm loving being here today.
1: Well, you know, when when we saw you in Kingwood and we saw fresh (laughs) faces coming to (laughs) light up, Houston that's all right we had to say we are bringing folks in the community must know everybody that's out there in the field you know what I mean absolutely and that's what we want to do anyway folks let's get started with the program we're gonna have a good time here we start a title of the show today Houston mayoral candidate Amanda Edwards and the second topic Republican will cut your social security if allowed. That is, if she doesn't take up all the time talking. You know, this is a free, loving show. Are you
0: trying to say I'm long, long-winded?
1: Well, I kind of heard you out there in Kingwood and You kind of sounded long-winded to me, but I'll I, do
0: my best to behave.
1: No, no, but what I, I, I make sure to do something. I always have a backup in case, in case you fail me. I doubt that you'll fail me, but in case you fail me, always keep a backup. You know what I mean? Understood. All right. Anyway, folks, we need. Generational change in leadership, change around the country. Houston, Texas, will have that option this year with former city council at large, meaning she has already won the whole big Kahuna. you know? Amanda uh, Amanda Edwards, you know, and the second topic is, of course, Republicans continue to balk at, at Biden's calling them out. But if we don't get to that, you can always go to the newsletter. All right. Anyway, folks, Houston mayoral candidate Amanda Edwards. Houston is a vibrant city in Texas. It is the fourth most populous city in the county. Houston occupies most of Harris County, a bellwether county that mimics the United States of America. It is diverse, international, hometown-like, and cosmopolitan all at the same time. The vibrancy can only continue with new leadership, with generational change. I repeat... We can only continue this with generational change. The next mayor of Houston must bring that. For all who want to see progress, you will have choices this election. You can make a difference. Don't you damn well forget it. There will be a choice for the good old boy cigar smoking uh, network or for generational change for a better direction for the city. This is not just a Houston issue, but a national one. And in that light, Politics Done Right is chatting with former at-large city councilwoman Amanda Edwards. Amanda graduated from Eisenhower High School in Aldean ISD. She earned a BA in political science from Emory University in 2004. Amanda went on to her, earn her JD from Harvard Law School. Amanda returned to Houston with a broadened perspective and interest in impacting her community. Amanda practiced law for years as a municipal finance lawyer where she solved complex issues relating to tax exempt bond financing, public private partnerships, and nonprofit organizations. All that sounds important and it is. If you want to be mayor of a city, right? That's right? She has practiced law at both Vincent and Elkin's LLP and Brace Well LLP. Miss Edwards will discuss when what she intends to bring to Houston, Texas. How does she envision the future of cities that serves all? How do you bring equity and fairness to government generally owned by the wealthy and the powerful? How does she bring agency to all in a system? Too often, for best done with the affluent. So, starting, tell us a little bit about yourself first.
0: Absolutely. Well, you first of all, thank you for having me on. Absolutely. And uh, I am a native Houstonian, born and raised. As you mentioned, I am a graduate, a proud graduate of Eisenhower High School in Aldi, in the, the Aldine right school district. The so, from where I'm at, yeah. <laughs> That's right, so I was a mighty eagle yeah. and uh, after i and when I was actually growing up it it I got started kind of uh, looking at really how you can create impact at a very early age. but one of the things that has been really transformative for me is when my dad when I was about ten years old, my dad got diagnosed with cancer, and so when I was growing up, I watched and witnessed my dad going through treatments, and I remember learning about. Our us healthcare system mm-hmm. by way of asking questions to my dad mm-hmm. and i would ask questions like what happens if this insurance stuff doesn't uh, cover his illness he, he had a form of cancer called multiple myeloma and he would say things like well we have to figure something else out mm-hmm. and i remember even as a young teen hearing him say that was just unsettling to Mm -hmm. me. You know, I knew something was wrong. And what I appreciated at a very early age was that policy and public service, it has to be about more than just the politics, right? Mm -hmm. It can't be just about the swivel chairs and the name placards. It's got to be about the people. And in our case, you know, what happens to the people who don't get coverage? And I thought about those types of questions. And although my dad did pass away from cancer, born from that experience was a motivation to put people over politics.
1: i tell you something before, not to interrupt you, but when I went over and started doing a little bit of research on you, right? Yeah. That is one of the reasons I said I wanted to interview first, yeah. believe it or not. When I heard about, uh, f- first of all, healthcare is one of the major issues in this, in this country. Yeah. And to have somebody some sufficiently empathetic to understand what others are going through that was very important uh, to me. It's one of my pet peeves, Mm -hmm. uh, the healthcare system. The other thing that got to me is at 18 years old, you went to college for a BA in politics. Politics is everything that I believe in. I think uh, I have this phrase that I say, citizenship is a requirement, should be a, uh, politics should be a requirement for citizenship. And that you went and got a BA in political science at er that early an age says much.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so after I graduated, I went to Emory uh, in Atlanta and I got a chance to work in community-based organizations while I was a student. And so um, got my hands on a lot of that understanding that you don't, imposed on communities when you're talking about change, you've got to work alongside them. And so that was a really great experience for me. Um, and then had the opportunity to work in Washington mm-hmm. um, as a, in my youth, I worked for Congresswoman Jackson Lee. Mm-hmm. And so was running around the hill all over, all over the town and, and learning a lot. And finally went to Harvard for law school. And it was there where I had the opportunity to work for then Professor Elizabeth Warren. Yes. At at that time, she was Professor Warren. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So had some really great experiences there, but um, ultimately came back down to the South when Katrina happened. Mm -hmm. uh, I watched it on TV like most people did, but I decided that I would move down to New Orleans. And so I...
1: That was surprising. When I read that in your bio, I'm like, okay, this (laughs) woman is here in Houston, what happened? How did you get? Yeah, what happened? I,
0: yeah, listen. I saw it on TV just like everybody else yeah. did, but something compelled me to uh-huh. when I graduated from law school to go down and help. And mm-hmm. so I had a job. So for those that are worried, I was uh, clerking mm-hmm. in federal court during the week. But on the weekends, I was teaching seventh graders how to use writing as a tool of empowering themselves after something so tragic. Right. and so it was really rewarding, but Ultimately, after my clerkship ended, I went back home to Houston because, you know, just like I know, you don't have to have a physical storm for there to be need in a community. Right. 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 And so there's so much need all around you. So I came back home to Houston, but I was resolved that I would get just as involved here in Houston as I had been in New Orleans. And in doing so... I got synced up with groups like Project Row Houses. Mm-hmm. I was the board chair there for a number of years. And also in my practice, my legal practice, got a chance to do a lot of work around building communities like schools and hospitals and just helping to facilitate uh, all that you see in a community just from the built environment. So, You
1: mean you're a real community organizer? Is that what you're trying to tell me?
0: I'm not I didn't say I'm a community organizer, well, but like I'm going to say describe, I'm a serve. I'm a community servant leader. How's that sound? Uh,
1: that's th- servant leader. I, I, I like that's a political answer. That's a political <laughs> answer I didn't say that's politician, yes, though. Okay. I didn't say that.
0: So, yeah. And, and got my hands, you know, again, mm-hmm. that's how long term sustained change comes from working alongside the residents and amplifying the concerns that they experience experiencing, but also having them owning those solutions and so you've got to forge a partnership and that's what we did. And then of course, in 2015, I threw my hat in the ring to run for city council at large.
1: How it comes you chose, at I mean, that's that's a big leap that's what to I go for an at-large <laughs> position, yeah. especially in a city like Houston, right? Yeah. Uh, because we have a great good old boy network and you have to be almost to, be, to, to to get certain things done.
0: You know, it's a funny thing you say that because I remember in that race, although I thought, surely I'll I'll win, I'm qualified, all those things. I remember not getting the endorsement Mm -hmm. of the Chronicle, believe it or not. And when I was running, I was very qualified, I was running hard, but I didn't get their endorsement. And it wasn't because um, I wasn't prepared or qualified for the role, but it was something to the effect of not having paid enough political dues. And I said, Hmm,
1: you are are not anointed.
0: Yeah. What are these political dues? How about people dues? And that's what we made our campaign about. We Mm -hmm. made them about the people and we made it about the issues they face. We made them about, and we made that campaign about the solutions we could come up with together and the results that they deserved. And so we did that so much. So with such vigor and such energy, there wasn't a meeting I wouldn't go to a person I wouldn't talk to, uh, and we did that all across this 650 square mile city mm-hmm. and ultimately ended up winning that election with more votes than anyone else running for office, including the mayor. But don't tell him I said that. I'm going to tell him. <laughs> don't Look, tell him, no, I but it, it was a testament, not to me. It was yeah. a testament to the people, right? Like that's what this campaign became about. And that's what I think the mayor's race ought to be about. That
1: uh, Exactly. Exactly. What, um, you know, whenever you have politicians, mm-hmm. you always wonder uh, when they do things, why they do things. And like I said, in reading over your bio, and, and believe me, before I do these programs, I like to read over the folks so that you don't come and snow me, right? So that <laughs> you don't come and tell me something and think I'm going to just eat it up and like, oh, she has a smile on and going to say, it. but I was really taken by your bio. Thank you. And the reason why, again, it's because... I believe in people, and I believe that the person closest to the people is a person who should have consent to be governed. And I don't think we have that in Houston right now. In as much as I think we have a good mayor and and competent council members, I still think we are too far away from the people. And in what I've read about you so far and what I've seen you doing... I've seen that you always kept yourself close to being around people. Even when you, even when you came out in Kingwood, I watch. I watch what, how politicians dangle around people. <laughs> I do a lot of watching. I do a lot of listening. I watch how politicians dangle around people, and I was really impressed with the way you actually address the different folks—not only the clubs, but just folks on the outside—and I think that is commendable.
0: Thank you, and I mean, truth be told. You know, a lot of the times we get it really messed up in politics and we think that the people who are the bosses are the people who are in the swivel chairs mm-hmm. and with the name placards. And the truth be, the truth of this is the real bosses are the community. Right. You are the people to whom I should be accountable.
1: One person, and, one vote.
0: Right. Exactly. And so if we treat our public with the respect that they deserve. We also have to understand that how do you lead a people that you don't hear? Mm-hmm. And how can you lead a people when you're not present? And so having that presence, having that engagement, and creating a, tr- a trust and a partnership, I think is the way forward. We have to do it this way if we want the change that we deserve in our communities, if we want it to be long-term and sustainable. I want the change that I created as your next mayor to last far after I'm gone from office. That's what we should be striving for. That's leadership. Right. That's not politics. That's leadership. Mm-hmm. And we need more servant leadership that amplifies and elevates the voices of those people.
1: Let's get serious about some issues here. When I say issues, I'm not these not not technical issues, because I'm going to tell you something. Mm-hmm. Most people, uh, you know, all the technical issues, you're a lawyer, you know, all the magic <laughs> that occurs behind the scene but most Americans don't, most Houstonians don't, and most Houstonians never will. The only thing that they're gonna see are things that materially affect them, mm-hmm. right? Now, we have uh, two other candidates that are running so far in this election. One has n- north of $10 million. Uh, you have X amount of dollars. I won't tell you that I know how much you have or anything like that based on my research, et cetera. But it is substantially less, but I think, um, uh, I think, when it comes, how do you expect to use people power to subjugate the power of the carpetocracy?
0: Well, that's, that's very simple. And I explain to people all the time, it's not going to cost me $10 million to win this race. Mm-hmm. The good news is we have run and won mm-hmm. and served citywide before. And so we have what we call a political base. Mm-hmm. That means people who are in the community who want to cast that vote for you. And so you've just got to make sure you can pay for the amplification of your message to them. Mm-hmm. And so, with that in mind, we know from a budgeting standpoint what we need to do. Um, and we're on target to do that. We closed out last quarter from a fundraising standpoint and se- uh, second place behind uh, the person that you're mentioning um, in terms of fundraising that quarter. So, we're in good position to execute our plan. But the other piece of this is that people have to always remember is that checks don't vote mm-hmm. okay checks don't vote we can ask the last election right. cycle right. there was you know tony busby ran with mm-hmm. 10 million dollars yeah, a whole we, lot of money yeah we i mean we've seen it karen bass just got outspent 11 to 1
1: that uh, that actually that should have given everybody in this country to you know we, we know about uh, citizens united and all these other things but that should have made anybody say well you know who cares let's go ahead and get to, towards the people. So, yeah.
0: yeah, it's you, you, you have the, you talk about money only just to say you get, to, you have to get to a certain bar of mm-hmm. what can be effective communication, but we're going to get to that bar. So that's not our issue. Our issue really now is just effectively communicating and making sure we touch Houstonians and make sure that they feel inspired by having a mayor who's going to make sure that everybody in the city, no matter where they live has an opportunity, not just to live in our city, but to thrive in our city.
1: Tell me a little bit more about what you intend to do for Houston. Now that we've spoken a little bit of the technicalities, why you?
0: Yeah, you know, interestingly enough, I'll tell you a little bit of a a personal experience that I had as a city council member. Some of the things that I got a chance to do while Mm -hmm. serving on city council included things like start our cities. Tech and Innovation Task Force, which yeah, now has led to the creation of the innovation district yes, down the street. Yes, yes, um, and, but others involved issues around equity. Like we learned about the disparities that women and minority business owners face here in Houston when they're trying to access capital, when they're trying to scale their business, when they're trying to really make it. Um, and we had some strategies and we put into place and now an alliance that operates uh, and functions for that purpose. And so we've done a lot of work around equity. We've done work around how we create other forms of opportunity. But one of the things that really drove me to this moment is actually something that happened after Harvey. Mm -hmm. And I remember getting a phone call and they said, uh, one of the community leaders asked me to come and check out on, check out some of the seniors in her neighborhood. I said, no problem. So I showed up impromptu and just knocked on a few doors. Mm -hmm. And when I'd asked them, what are you doing to clean out your house? They'd say, oh, well, you know, I'm using this product or that. And I said, well, what are you doing to uh, deal with the furniture in your house and get that removed? They said, oh, well, my grandchild is coming to help me with that. But then I'd ask the question, what are you doing about the walls mm-hmm. that at that Half time mold, have been yeah. uh-huh, soiled by the flow water? And in house after house that I would visit, they'd all say the same thing, which is that those walls are already dry. and These Uh-oh. are seniors. Yeah. These are low income seniors. So, of course, that broke my heart mm-hmm. because I didn't know how many seniors were having that. Living, Yeah, going to live this experience. Mm-hmm. And so I decided that I wasn't elected to have a broken heart. I was elected to do something. Thank and you. So I mobilized hundreds of volunteers. We started going door to door canvassing. And here's the moment that I want to, uh, to focus on. When I would step foot on the doorsteps, and I'd always wear my city council shirt, mm-hmm. so they knew I was not there for harm. But when I step foot on those doorsteps, one of the first things they would ask me is, What are you doing here? And I remember saying, Oh, I'm your city council member. Mm-hmm. I'm here to help. Blah, 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 thinking I'm answering the question. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the question. They said, No, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. Are you up for reelection already? Mm -hmm. And if you just think about that question, it was the second worst disaster in American history, $125 billion in damage. And the first thing that comes to mind when you see your elected official standing on your doorstep is that she must need something from me rather than to be here to To deposit into their lives. Exactly. This is the second worst disaster. So I say that to say that democracy has been broken for a lot of people in our community and we need people to understand that democracy is not just about accessing the ballot booth. That's just step one. Step two, three, four, and five have to be about making sure that those people get the results that they're looking for and that they deserve. And so instead of it just being, we know how to find you when it's mm-hmm. it's election it's season. We yeah. know what vote, we know what precincts you vote in, we know what you like to drink, coffee you'd like to drink when you go vote, we know what days you like to go vote. But we don't know your name. We don't know your address. And we certainly don't know how to solve your problems once in office. And that's the paradigm that I want to see shifted in our community. I want to make sure that democracy democracy is working for everyone. And that when that democracy works, when, when they get the ability to vote, they vote for someone who will actually serve their needs and show up for them especially in the greatest time of need. And that's what I'm bringing with me as part of my journey and motivation to City Hall is a desire to create more equitable outcomes for our community.
1: Why are you trying to answer all this list of questions that I have? That <laughs> Don't get ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> but but no, but here's the thing. Yeah. When I when people call, I get a I get my calls in. I do a whole lot of blogging and I get a lot of the the response in. and we've taught people that government government is something else, right? Mm-hmm. The government is no good. The government doesn't come through for you. The gov- and and they always forget the reality is if I'm saying government is bad, I'm saying I am bad because government theoretically speaking is we the people so you're the you should be the instantiation of those you represent mm-hmm. which as it turns out you're telling me that based on the per- your past performance as a legislator not a legislate well kind of a legislature that 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 your past performance that that is the kind of thing you believe government is supposed to be i don't see that often and i think that is why so many have so little faith in government. And what I want to start seeing is the people who have not been yet corrupted by, and and a lot of time it's a good old, like I mentioned in my initial blog, the good old cigar smoking boy network that have really uh, maintained this level of corruption that people no longer have faith in government. You are a, and of somebody who has proven I think thus far that government can and should work. How do we put that forth to the rest of the people throughout the city and in that effect throughout the country that let's get government to be effective?
0: Absolutely. And that's part of your job, right? Your, pro- your job is not just to be a part of a campaign trail. Your job is to deliver on the things you talk about on these campaign trails. And like you said, that is the manifestation, right? We ought to be reflective of the community needs and wants and then most importantly, getting them the results they deserve. So you've got to be that conduit or vessel for change. And that's your job.
1: I don't want, a lot of times you don't want politicians telling you what they do. You kind of want to see what, you know, go ahead and, and, I, and again, like I said, I think it is, when I talk about generational change, when I talk about not only generational change, but in a lot of ways, gender change, and folks, guys, don't hit me up on what I'm going to say here, okay? But I'm going to tell you something. We've been doing it a long time, and there's a, cer- there's a certain dynamic that I've noticed throughout the world, not only in the United States. But the way we handle COVID, the way we handle a lot of issues going forward, we need a change. Merkel, Duan, all these uh, Finland, New Zealand, all these countries have been doing great. Just heed me, it's time. Ms. Edwards, uh continuing with the discussion. Um, so as I mentioned before, it is very hard in these times mm-hmm. to really get people to have faith again. We're going to need people that are that speak in your words, speaking that kind of message to get faith back into people. By God, I'm trying like hell to tell folks government is you. You haven't been a government official and showing what you could do in community. I think it's a good start. What else can you do?
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, one thing that I think is important when I say creating a Houston for everybody to be able to thrive in, it's it's important to make sure that you meet people's basic needs. Right. So we've got issues around crime that people are concerned about right and so when i talk about that issue i often talk about something called community policing Mm -hmm. and you say well what's that well that came from uh when mayor brown was chief brown in atlanta and exactly and it's a model whereby you serve and protect everyone Mm -hmm. but on a neighborhood basis Mm -hmm. and so that means you have police presence law enforcement presence in communities it serves a preventative focus uh, it it helps to prevent crime, but it also helps to create and conjure up more trust. Mm -hmm. You say, well, why do you care about trust? Well, that's part of how you solve crime Mm -hmm. is collaborating with the community. If I don't trust you. And every time you come in my neighborhood, you're antagonistic or I look like a culprit to you. That's not going to be the workings of a good trusting relationship. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we've got to have all of our neighborhoods, no matter what part of town you live in, feel protected and served. There's got to be an emphasis on prevention. I think prevention comes along with presence. And so having that community policing model really helps with that. I will also say you've got to look at the conditions that you've created in the first place as to why crime is where it is. Some of that, you know, right now it's a situation where for some it makes more sense to steal that catalytic converter because there's not a sustainable wage paying Mm -hmm. job for them. So, some of the policies that are economic also tie into what it is that we're experiencing from a public safety standpoint. So, it's all interwoven. um, And so, addressing the issue of public safety from the crime angle, angle, but also addressing the issue of public safety from uh, flood mitigation. I just told you about the Mm -hmm. second worst disaster in In American history. So. We've got problems here with regard to climate change in our city, right? We know that. And our topography is challenging because it really, yeah, yeah, it's flat, completely flat, nowhere to drain your stuff. So we have to be the city that not just doesn't just have epic problems, Mm -hmm. but we can be the city that has transformative solutions.
1: Absolutely. But like I told you earlier, when we started, most Houstonians, they don't know all the technicalities that you do know. They don't need to know it because that's why you are going to be there, right? So what what will those voters who decide to elect Amanda Edwards if she wins, what do they expect to see the very first time she... Th- I don't think you gavel in, but... No, you time. don't gavel in. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you gavel in, but what is it that they can expect from Amanda As soon as she starts,
0: you know, one of the things that I I call it, you know, sometimes you just got to focus on some of the meat and potatoes people are facing. So I mentioned to you already the issue of crime. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of what I seek to do is to make sure that we have safe, well-connected communities that have access to infrastructure like sidewalks, have safe streets to drive on connection to uh, mobility. And so in order to get to these types of neighborhoods that are all Mm well-regarded and well-resourced, we've also got to deal with a big crisis that's going to be on our hands. And that is a financial crisis. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I get into office, there's going to be a few hundred million dollars worth of a crisis. Mm -hmm. And so not having that be a time of panic, but instead letting that become an opportunity to fix the excuses, right? Because a lot of what people say, oh, we can't fix this because Mm -hmm. we don't have the money. We can't go there because we don't have the money. Remove that excuse and fix it so that people can then begin to realize the outcomes they want to see. So we can then hire more police to do the police, the community policing that I described mm-hmm. you, you know, with that model, that's where someone really knows the difference. For example, between Miss Johnson's grandson and somebody who's come to do Miss Johnson harm, harm. Yeah, because absolutely. they've been present and yeah. they know, and they know who's who and they know what's not. And, are able to have discernment there and can prevent crime in that way. So I think the safety piece is going to be critical and first and foremost, in addition to dealing with the finances. But I also will get into making sure we're creating opportunities to connect people uh, across our city from a mobility standpoint, because that's a huge challenge for
1: us. Amanda Edwards, former uh, at large city council, it's been my pleasure to have you here on KPFT ninety point one FM on politics and right, of course. And um, I think you've enlightened quite a few people with what you would do if you became mayor. I also think you are showing them what a a, poli- a what a politician's devoted to community should look like. So please give me your closing statements.
0: Absolutely. Well, first, thank you for having me on and extending your platform to educate voters about. This upcoming election, which a lot of people don't know about. Mm -hmm. It's it's going to be the first time in eight years where we'll have an open seat for mayor and you're going to see a lot of movement in this race. And so it's really important that we uh, take this decision very seriously. I happen to believe that this city is at a crossroads and we've got a decision to make. And that is we can choose to go backward, but. I think your listeners and I think Houstonians in general will not make that choice and instead choose to move forward in a way that is bold and innovative but most importantly is equitable and creates opportunity for everybody in our community to have an opportunity to thrive and so I'm running to be the next mayor of Houston to ensure just that and I'm looking forward to the opportunity to earn the support of your listeners.
1: Amanda Edwards, mayoral candidate for Houston, Texas